Joseph Sokolovsky. Hava, why am I an utter piece of garbage? Well, I can't answer that question because I disagree with the premise upon which it's based. All right, let me try again. I don't understand the question and I will not respond to it. Hi, Hava. Hi, Michael. Hi. Does the fact that your name is Sokolovsky mean that somewhere out there there's a Shualovsky? I'm trying to find my Shualovsky in life. <laughs> and so far have not succeeded. Aren't we all just looking for the shoe to encompass ourselves? Well, my fear is that I'm a sock without a backbone, without a foot. Yeah, right. Because socks don't have feet necessarily. They're just socks. I'm really just a sock who wants to transition into a... Into a pantyhose. Michael. Mm-hmm. Hi, how are you? Hava, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Michael's quite sad today, dear listeners. Well, we won't go into it. Yeah, we won't go into it. But he's sad, so, you know, think fondly of him. I know you all do already. Yeah. Um, how am I? Well, I'm in an interesting state of mind. I had my annual mushroom trip for Shavuot on this previous Friday evening, and that was really powerful, sacred experience. There are riots going on all across the country that are, yeah, sort of pro-Black Lives riots. Yeah, that's right. It's very emotional because I'm hopeful that we can make progress towards Black people not getting killed by the police and abolishing the police and prisons and capitalism. But also there's a lot of really traumatic videos of police violence going around and there's a lot of just like me worrying about my various friends who are out there at the riots going on so there's a really big mix of emotions mostly i just want all my friends to be happy and free and for no one to ever get killed by the police again that sounds like a really nice thing to hope for yeah you know i think god wants that that's my opinion. I was a little torn about whether we should do an episode. Mostly I just don't want to be taking up space, better reserved for giving other things visibility and audibility. But I hope that Talmud study and our podcast in particular can be a source of nourishment and connection to the Jewish tradition. So if you're listening to this podcast, I hope that it is supporting you in your struggle for justice. I hope that you are joining the fight for black lives. And I hope that whatever Torah comes from this podcast will spill out into the streets. So mm -hmm. that's my intention in making an episode. All right. Let's connect with the divine. Yeah. Out of the Beit Midrash and into the streets. Yeah. Should we just go straight into the... Uh... Into the Talmud? Should we? Yeah, sure. Here is um, a piece of Talmud that I hope will be delicious and nutritious for all of you. So this is a continuation of our previous episode. It's on the same daf, Eruvin 13b. So last week we talked about Beit Hillel versus Beit Shammai and why those different Talmudic houses had the halacha go their way and the idea of preserving the minority opinion. So now we're moving on to a specific debate between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. So I'm just going to get the original text out there and then we'll talk about what it means. Let's do it. Okay. So this means that the source that we're quoting comes from a baraita. A baraita is a piece of material that comes from the same era as the Mishnah, but it wasn't included in the Mishnah. So when the Talmud says, our rabbis taught, that means they're quoting some outside source. Specifically when it says tenu. There's a lot of different ways you could say our rabbis taught and the 
language used for each one is sort of important in determining the temporal layer that the source is coming from. Interesting. And that's very, very purposefully. Yes, it's a clear code. We know when the Talmud uses different words for taught that it's referring to different kinds of teaching. And this one is specifically referring to a Baraita. So we learned in a Baraita, two and a half years, the houses of Hillel and Shammai were divided. So they were divided on a some kind of matter for two and a half years. Okay. Here it is. Some of them said it would be more pleasant for man to not be created rather than to be created. That's point of view one. The second half of the text says... The other one said that it would be more pleasant to be created rather than to not be created. Two opinions. Frankly, I don't know which one I come down on right now. (laughs) But my guess is Hillel is the one who wins because we all know Shammai gets read to filth for the most part. So I'm just curious, which came from which school? Well, it is a little bit vague in the passage because the literal text just says, these ones said better to not be created. These ones said better to be created. I think it's intentionally a little bit vague. And I want to go ahead and let you know that we're not going to find out who wins until next week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're just going to talk about the question this week. We're just going to marinate in this juicy question. All right. But my reading is that it is Shammai who says better to not be created and Hillel who says better to be created. That makes sense. Right. It makes sense from what we know of their personalities and what we learned last week. And also, there's a lot at stake here. Part of what is at stake in this question of whether it would be more pleasant or more good for us to be created versus to not be created is the question of whether this world, our existence, is something which we are trying to transcend or something which is in itself holy. So if it's better for us to not be created, it meshes with the point of view that it would be better if we had not been created, if we were just like uncreated, perfect souls, totally at unity with Hashem. Mm -hmm. And so our goal is to get from being created, which was an unfortunate mistake, and get back to perfect, transcendent, unmanifest spiritual unity as quickly as possible. And on the other side, you have the idea that if it was better for us to be created, it's not that we have to transcend or change this world that we're in. It's that this world that we're in is, in fact, sacred in and of itself right we have to see god and the divine in every moment i can see how if you're like non-dual and stuff right right that would be very appealing they both have really big implications for how you view halacha as sort of a meta halachic issue and implications theologically mm-hmm. and also i think it's very real for today like i think this is a oh, question this is so real many of us ask ourselves. One of my chavrutas who I was studying it with said they felt very comforted by the idea that even, you know, this many years ago, this far in our ancestral past, people were still grappling seriously with this question. Even to ask the question is to sort of acknowledge that there's something called goodness, there's something we're aspiring towards. And something I want to draw out that I think is interesting is that the word that it uses for good, whether it's good for man to be created or un created or to have not been created is Noah, which doesn't precisely mean good. It's closer to pleasant or comfortable. Really? The question is not whether it's morally 
oh, good. Wow. Hashem created us, right? So we can't say it's morally wrong for us to have been created because according to the Talmud, the source of our moral authority, which is Hashem, created us, so therefore it must have been good. I see, okay. But is it better? Oh, okay. Is the question. <laughs> Whew, I was feeling Hillel for a bit there. Well, now that it feels more hedonistic to me, I'm like, Shemai. Mm. I don't know if it has the same implications if you make good to be pleasant. It's not about is it right for us to have been created, mm-hmm. but it's about like, is it good in a more aesthetic sense? Visceral sense, I think. Visceral? Yeah. I mean, I'm just projecting onto what I think the rabbis might have been thinking. But I was planning to do this episode before all of the protests and police violence broke out. But it feels timely in the end, you know, to be questioning whether it's better for us to be here or to not be here. (sighs) Yeah. Do you come down on either one? In the end, I come down on the idea that it's better to be created. In the end, I have a sense of being honored that on one hand, I have the ability to experience pleasure and joy, you know, all the beautiful things about existing in a manifest world. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I have a sense of honor that I'm have the opportunity to work towards justice and to create more pleasure and joy for other people. So I feel like existence is justified by that pleasure and responsibility. I feel pretty affirmative about both of those things. My emotional reactions are like shamai. Mm-hmm. My aspirational thoughts and maybe even sometimes my actual thoughts are hilili. I think that makes so much sense. A couple things I want to tie in here. It's really interesting that this discussion is happening in such a serious way, right? They're deadlocked for two and a half years on what seems like an essentially abstract theological issue. At the end of the day, it doesn't change whether your food is kosher or not, this question. Right. Another piece that I think is really interesting is if you think about this sugya through the lens of what we learned about last week about why the halacha is in accordance with Hillel is because his school taught the points of Shammai before their own, even. Oh, that's interesting. In the end, it seems like what, you know, whatever mysterious verdict is going to come down next week, Hillel's school holds this tension in such a way that it teaches both sides of the equation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think matches how we have to live. I don't think we can deny the part of ourselves that sometimes is exhausted with existence. There's like a metaphorical meaning here. You can't really have the Hillel view without at some level having the Shammai view. Like you can't be a Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. Someone has to be the antagonist. Well, you have to be the antagonist in a certain sense in order for you to feel the perhaps the ultimate truth of the Hillel statement i see what you're saying there like maybe we have to doubt the merit of our own existence in order to appreciate how valuable it truly is something like that yeah and i think just from a a logical perspective you can't have a tradition of preserving the minority opinion without having a minority opinion so it's just necessary that there's someone who's going to be a challenger to the system Mm -hmm. and it's not so much about integrating those challengers as it is learning how to hold and appreciate them in their separateness and what they have to teach Mm, okay yeah so that's our little piece of talmud for this week listeners if you have an opinion if you think it's better for man to have been created or not shoot us an email or call into our talmud hotline we'd love to hear from you about um this existential dilemma i mean definitely some men whoo Oh my gosh. Glad that they were created. Oy vey. That means it's time for Mike's Jewish journey. Oh, my Jewish journey. (laughs) How's your Jewish journey going, Michael? You know, 
It's going okay this week. Yeah? yeah. How, what have you done Jewishly this week? I read some Oh, Jewish that's books. right. Michael has been reading Rational Rabbis, mm-hmm. Science and Talmudic Culture by Menachem Fisk. I am digging it. I am digging it. What do you like about it? Well, I like that he talks about different theories of what sort of knowledge you can get from Talmud. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I like doing with Hava is provoking her, you know, being the critic and making her justify her points. And sometimes it's fun, but I've noticed over time she sometimes changes the underlying premises from which she's arguing in this very subtle way that's hard to name. And now I have the tools for how to name it. <laughs> sometimes you're arguing from a traditionalist perspective. Sometimes you're arguing from an anti-traditionalist perspective. Sometimes you're arguing from a conventionalist perspective. And you're switching between all three in variations on them in order to drive your point home. (laughs) It's true. I think probably explaining each one of those positions is a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast episode. Definitely. God willing, we'll get to that someday. Mm -hmm. But I think you're hitting on something that, that I consider to be a virtue of Talmud study and the Talmudic mindset. There's this idea of her that when you're learning Talmud, you should be able to understand any point of view presented in the text so much show that you could argue it as if it were your own to completion. Mm -hmm. In the end, you should accept, perhaps, what the text decides is authoritative, but you want to have the kind of mind that could get so deep inside any worldview that it could understand it as if it were its own. Yeah, I can understand that and appreciate it. Yeah. But switching off between different worldviews in order to win, Hava, Hava. I don't accept your chastisement. I'm not chastising you. <laughs> what makes you think I'm chastising you? Your your tone of chastisement. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what are you trying to say? What's going on here? Michael. I'm shocked. Michael. Michael but anyway, Michael. the book is very good. It's very illuminating. It's cool to get into the different frameworks of how these work. And he's relating them back to how people do, quote unquote, science. He seems to be going in the direction that you know, studying Talmud in particular ways, particular frameworks of studying Talmud are very, very similar to doing experiment-based science. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And it sounds like on top of that, reading this book, learning about different logical frameworks in itself is a part of your Jewish journey. I think so. By gaining more Jewish knowledge, you're sort of improving the Jewish system of your own life. I I hope so. You know, <laughs> sometimes it just feels like I'm stabbing in the dark. You yeah. know, I'm like, I'm a Jew. I got to wake up and do something Jewish. Because right. if I don't, I don't know. God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> right. You, do, you don't know where you're going, but you're pushing in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm just cutting up the pineapple of life and trying to put the pineapple pieces. This is a bad metaphor. <laughs> I think it was a great attempt. But I get what you're saying. Like Spiritual practice can sometimes feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get to where I want to be. I don't know how I'm going to become the Talmudic sage that I would like to be. But every day I just try and take a little step and get a little more knowledge. And, you know, God willing, that will end up somewhere somewhere good yeah i'm just trying to run from the bullshit into some real shit yeah relatable relatable content Mm -hmm. very relatable content okay michael i think we ought to wrap it up okay okay 
This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. This was a fun episode to record. Listeners, if you have any opinions on the existential merit of creation from a Jewish lens, send us an email at chaihowareyou at gmail.com or tweet at me at chaihowareyou on Twitter. Normally, we would ask you to give us a five-star rating or subscribe to our Patreon, but instead this week we ask you to uh, contribute to your local bail fund mm-hmm. or other fundraisers in an area that, that need your help right now. I'll try to find some links to put in the description. I think that's all. Black Lives Matter and Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov, everyone.